0: and welcome to another edition of NGI's Hub & Flow podcast. My name is Patrick Rau. I'm Director of Strategy and Research for NGI. And I'm going to spend a few minutes here just talking about uh, things to listen for during the second quarter 2020 earnings season for North American Energy Names, which is going to be kicked off on Monday with Halliburton's call. Now, I think the top of the jour in our industry and certainly among the economy around the world is COVID. And in relation to that, we certainly don't expect there to be much improvement with respect to reinstituting financial guidance among energy names, especially in the face of increased COVID reports in recent days. And of course, it's not only the energy industry that's being affected here. According to a July 12th Wall Street Journal article, quote, more than 180 companies in the S&P 500 have pulled their earnings guidance in the wake of the economic crisis wrought by the coronavirus pandemic, limiting the visibility of investors. That has led to the widest dispersion in earnings estimates among analysts since at least 2007, unquote. That's a particularly poignant statement, and one that really does apply for energy names, considering that there are an extended course, to be driven by commodity prices, which are already pretty darn volatile. So we expect there to be a really wide net in terms of earnings makes and misses this quarter. And we note that the U.S. rig count has declined every week since peaking at 793 rigs on March 6, and now sit at just 258, which is down a full 67% during this period. However, I think it is worth noting that the rig count has fallen by just a combined eight rigs over the last three weeks. So perhaps this is an indication that the number of working rigs is reaching a bottom, and we're certainly going to be interested in any discussion about that among the various conference call participants. Short-term U.S. gas and oil production also seem to have stabilized around 86 BCF a day and 11 million barrels a day in recent weeks. But of course, that big rig count reduction will have a toll on production in the months ahead, and we'll be listening to commentary about that. We don't do any forecasting necessarily per se at NGI, but we do note that the EIA is forecasting U.S. natural gas production will fall 3.2% in 2020 and another 5.6% in 2021. So certainly the commentary among uh, earnings reporters will help to shed some light onto those figures. Now, WTI futures strips certainly have moved back above $40, and that is approaching breakeven levels in a number of U.S. plays. So it'll definitely be interesting to see whether the industry believes that that is sustainable. The big three oil field service companies and the permanent producers in particular will have much more to say about that. Now, one way producers can make their pricing projections known is through any asset write-downs, something that we've seen a lot of in recent months. In our view, asset write-downs would be a not-so-subtle indicator that industry players no longer believe WTI prices will be in the $50 to $55 range long-term, considering that that was a price deck that many of them used to justify their original pre-COVID 2020 CapEx budgets. Another main topic that we'll be listening to are bankruptcies, and we see that the energy industry alone has accounted for roughly 20% of all U.S. bankruptcy filings so far in 2020. And some of the more recent names to join that list are Chesapeake Energy, High Crush, Extraction Oil and Gas, and I see that the California Resources Corporation just filed this morning, and these are to name but a few. The question that we have is what's gonna happen to the assets among these companies? Will they stay with those companies or are they gonna sell some of those off? And that has ramifications certainly from a news flow standpoint. Uh, If some of those assets move from the publicly traded to uh, the private sector, there'll be all that much less news flow on that. We also note, as we have in the past, that roughly uh, one third of our 140 companies in our energy coverage group have non-investment grade ratings. And that percentage is actually higher because quite a few names don't even have debt ratings of any sort. In the Appalachia, this is particularly uh, important because really all the publicly traded names in the Appalachia are junk status, and that's an area that accounts for roughly one-third of U.S. gas production. Uh, we note that some other sectors that are particularly vulnerable right now to bankruptcies, and this is based on current debt ratings, are pressure-pumping names, prop and providers and offshore drillers. So we're certainly interested to hear commentary among this. Now, one sector that has been more immune from immediate bankruptcies or at least a threat of that, of course, it's the pipeline industry as those names all tend to be investment grade. But of course, this is a sector that's received a pretty big jolt in recent days. You had Dominion's decision to abandon their Atlantic Coast Pipeline project along with the judicial order for DAPL to cease its operations. And we note that energy transfer had already said in recent quarters that it had increased the discount rate it uses to account for greater risk in the sector. So our question is, what do these recent moves and announcements do to the perceived risk profile of the pipeline industry? And this is of particular interest to us with respect to whether the riskiness of pipelines is spreading to the Gulf Coast, which, of course, is an area that historically has been more pro-energy development such things could negatively impact the second wave of LNG export facilities in particular, especially since some of the new US pipelines that are on the drawing board are designed to serve those projects. Now we know that US natural gas production tends to be a little bit higher cost-wise for the rest of the world, and that's on a marginal cost production basis. So second wave LNG facilities, they really do need to compete on lower total capital costs. And any increased pipeline expenditures because of increased risks would not be so great for those developers, everything else being equal. Now, on the flip side of all of that, you've got Warren Buffett's announcement the other day that uh, it's gonna spend nearly $10 billion to purchase Dominion's pipeline and storage aspects. And that could certainly, of course, speak to the long-term viability of US gas pipelines, and maybe even more subtly to expected consumption growth out of China since those U.S. pipelines would help to ship gas to those aforementioned LNG export facilities, including the second wave. Now, another thing, though, that this could be saying is that perhaps that this means that there is going to be a growing premium, valuation premium for existing assets pipelines that don't have to go through all the red tape that Greenfield projects continue to face. So this is a very, very important topic, of course, and we're going to be listening to conversation about this. We certainly anticipate that analysts are going to be asking many questions about this topic, so it should lead to a very lively discussion this quarter. One other thing that we're particularly listening to this quarter is any news of potential increase of natural gas exports to Mexico. And this is all in the face of our understanding that Formaca's Wahalahara system in Mexico is now complete. That's a pipeline system, of course, that's been built to transport gas from the Permian Basin to Guadalajara, Mexico, which is one of the largest industrial bases in that country. Now, Fermaca itself is not publicly traded, but perhaps there will be some commentary about this from pipeline names that are publicly traded and have a presence in Mexico, such as Ianova and TC Energy. And we certainly are hoping to hear more about this from some of the big publicly traded Permian producers. This is all particularly important since Waha continues to emerge as a major pricing indicator in the United States, and the future of Waha prices certainly has ramifications on many subsectors of the U.S. natural gas industry. That's largely it for now, but as a reminder, you can follow along with NGI's 20, uh, 22nd quarter North American Energy Conference Call Coverage via our conference call schedule sheet, which is located under the resources tab of our new company website. In addition to providing earnings call dates and times for the various companies in our coverage universe, that sheet also includes links to both company investor relations websites and to NGI's editorial coverage of the more prominent names on that list. On behalf of everyone at Natural Gas Intelligence, this is Patrick Rao from New York, wishing you all continued health during these difficult times. Stay safe, everyone, and we'll talk to you again soon.